guys. Welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. I'm Victoria. And I'm Whitney. And we're so glad you joined in to listen today. If you'd like to get notifications of our latest episodes and want to join us on our journey through Exodus, be sure to give us a follow wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about Exodus chapters 27 through 29. But to pick up where we left off last week, let's quickly recap what we saw in chapters 24 through 26. In chapters 24 through 26, the Israelites hastily accepted to enter into a covenant with God. God starts to give Moses the instructions and specifications to build the tabernacle, which is where he will come to meet and speak with his people. We see the specifications on where the materials to build will come from, the instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant, the table for bread, the golden lampstand, and the tabernacle. Bringing us to chapter 27 that opens with the instructions for the bronze altar. Bronze altar. <laughs> the chapters, altar. right? Okay, the the chapters, to the chapters today are very much like the last chapters of last episode, in that it's a lot of instruction, a lot of specific details on the setup of the tabernacle, the items that are in it, the setting up of the court, the consecration of the priests, what the priests wear. Like it's a lot of the details and specifics that God is giving to Moses on Mount Sinai during the 40 days and 40 nights he's staying up there. Um, yes. It's a lot and it's kind of dry. And it for me reading it, I was like, okay, can we just... It was... A, it was. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but... I... <laughs> it's hot it was hard to get through like the actual text like i did a lot of commentary reading and like notes reading and i listened to like a lecture slash sermon on it yeah because it is a lot to get through it's a lot of technical things that is setting the foundation of the I guess the Jewish church, the Israelite church where God meets with the people and everything that goes along with that. That's like the foundation of their heritage in in part with their, like the relationship that they have with God. So like, it's very important and it's very, you know, specific detailed stuff for a reason. It's just not that easy to read. Yes. (laughs) At all. Right. So are we reading? We can, or it doesn't really matter. I mean, we can kind of describe it if you want. Yeah. Um, So starting with the bronze altar, because it's not that much. It's like the first half of 27. Yeah. The the bronze altar is just a table. It's a a square table. Yeah. So I found from BibleNotes.org, it breaks down the measurements and things of Mm -hmm. it. So it says, this is from BibleNotes.org.uk. The altar was large, nine feet high and 15 feet square. Since acacia wood was heavy, the altar was hollow and may have been filled with earth. There was a ramp, not steps, by which the priests would approach it. And then the horns that they talk about on there that are on essentially each corner were there to ensure that the sacrifice remained on it. So, and Nine think, feet high? Yeah, that's massive. That's that's taller than your husband. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm just thinking how tall my husband is, and it's nine feet high. It says its height shall be three cubits. Three cubits. I don't know. That's what that said. A cubit was about 18 inches. 18 times three. Where are they getting nine feet from? I don't know. That's only only 54. Yeah, hold on. Because, like, the, the, the picture that my Bible gives, it says... Um, the bronze altar for burnt offerings stood in the outer yeah, just courtyard. Cut that whole part where I just said that out because okay. that makes no sense. Yeah, the bronze altar for the burnt offerings stood in the 
outer courtyard with its poles removed. It was a hollow wooden box overlaid with bronze, measuring four and a half feet high and seven and a half feet long and wide. There was a bronze grating on the top and the sides of the altar. Yeah. Like that's no. what it looked yeah, like. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I have. What were they thinking about? I have no idea. Okay. Anyway, it's fine. Yeah, because they had to have carried live animals, like bulls. Like and led sh- them up it. Yeah. Yeah. T- like had to put them on top of it and then sacrifice them. Yeah. So like the horns specifically, they kind of look like pointed corners on the actual yeah, table itself. Like, an, like higher. Yeah. Um. So you could tie a lead or a rope to them. Yeah. And everything that I found said that it doesn't specifically say what the horns were used for. Yeah, that's what I saw too. Um, but in, I think, Psalms 118.24, I think is what it was. I know there's a, like a Psalms cross reference Yeah, 118.27, excuse me, um, said that it was, you know, to bind the beast upon that which to, were to be slain. Yeah. So I think it really was just to tie down the sacrifice to make sure it didn't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I Seriously. Because they killed it on the burnt offering table yes. because the altar, the idea behind that Hebrew word altar is essentially killing place. Yeah. I read that also. But it's not, but it's the truth. It's the truth. And I think too, it goes back to the whole thing back in Genesis, whenever we read about God killing a creature for the first time mm-hmm. to cover up man's sin that mm-hmm. it, it is it's to cover up a their terrible nakedness. because it's a terrible yeah. thing yeah like yeah so as a place of death and sacrifice yeah. where atonement for sin was made and consecration unto god was marked yeah and i think it's interesting or important to note too i mean first of all with god you know everything is intentional oh, but yeah. like his placement or his where he instructs Moses to place everything is also very in- intentional mm-hmm. because the altar was not inside no of of the Could you tent imagine of meeting that? it was outside because think about it you have to i read this i can't remember where i think was it or did i hear it somewhere i think i heard it in that um enduring word exodus conversations yeah. that you the altar is placed outside of the tent in front of the door because you have to go through sacrifice you have to go through atonement to get to god yeah and not everybody was able to do that like everybody can go into the court yes everybody can go into the courtyard but and not- you can see the consecration of the priests and everything like that but the priests were the only ones that were allowed inside, inside of the tabernacle yeah because those were the ones that underwent the the consecration yeah, process which, which we're we'll gonna get to find out because... it's very extensive and scary um but two like picture if this burnt offering table or like this this bronze altar for killing was inside the tabernacle like that's a holy set apart place number one sacrifice is kind of messy well yeah and, two, and they are burning it yeah you can, can you imagine you can't put that, that being yeah. in a closed tent with no, no. windows no die absolutely not no no but too it was also to show the people that everybody you know everybody was witness yeah of what was occurring yes and i mean yeah, it was in, covered in i inlaid in bronze bronze yeah so it could so, withstand the heat so it's yes. not like the table's catching fire right when they would set it up but everything about it also had to be very practical as well oh yeah because they had to move it exactly and the point and I thought this was an interesting point as well. I heard it on the Dr. Jordan Peterson, Jordan B. Peterson um, Exodus series that I was watching that 
you know, they talk about with the Ark of the Covenant and with the altar and stuff that the place to put the poles to carry it right through mm-hmm. the rings and the poles stay in the rings. Like, yeah, you don't take them out once you settle. And it's because the whole thing behind that is, is you have to be prepared. And I, I don't know. I just thought this was really good because it applies even today. You have to be prepared and ready to go wherever god tells you to whenever god tells you to yeah and it's kind of going back to that urgency of when they left egypt you have to be ready eat the passover lamb with your shoes on and staff in your hand like Mm -hmm. you have to be ready to go because i mean if you think about it they were nomads they were exactly crosshairs of war foreign lands yeah all of that so like they had to be ready to get up and go and i can't imagine taking down that tent and everything in it It was not an easy or quick task. No, and at keep all. in mind how much too. We talked about it in the last episode. How much acacia would they use? And everything I keep reading keeps saying how heavy it was. Thousand pounds Ugh. was just the tabernacle, just like the 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 foundation and like the poles and like the coverings of it, the curtains that were in yeah. it. That wasn't any of the pieces. That's that wasn't crazy. The, the what you call it? Not the menorah. I don't know why that's popping in my brain. The, the golden lampstand. Lamp yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It wasn't the table and it wasn't the ark. Like those things all weighed by themselves. Yeah, it was just the, I guess for lack of a better term, building. The bones. So, the bones yes, of it. Exactly. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yep. And that doesn't even include the court either, which we're going to get to. Yeah. But yeah. The, the bronze altar is where, it's a very important piece because, you know, that's where the sacrifices are made. That's where, um, they kill the animal for the blood of atonement mm-hmm. to spread over the mercy seat. Yep. And that's also where they kill the, the animal for the blood of atonement for the priests. Yeah. So yep. it's a very important part of yes. the tabernacle in the court, but it's not technically inside the tent. Correct. Moving on to the courtyard kind of just a provides a barrier to the people too. Talk about the pieces of the table. Oh, I don't have anything on it, but we, if you want Enduring to... Enduring Word has a good, like, kind of overview of the pieces that were part of the table. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it says, the actual scripture says, make its pans to receive its ashes and its shovels and its basins and its forks and its fire pans and bronze. So everything that went along with the bronze altar was bronze. Um, these utensils were used in the preparation of the offerings and the maintenance of the altar. Each was specially made for the tabernacle out of bronze and each was set aside for the work of the tabernacle. So the pans were to hold the fat-soaked ashes when they were removed from the the hearth by the shovels. The basins were to catch the blood of the animal slain beside the altar to be sprinkled on the altar's base. Uh, The forks were three-pronged forks for arranging the sacrifice or retracting the priest's portion. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Nope. And the fire pans were for carrying fire from the altar of incense inside the holy place. So the altar of incense is another piece that we're going to get to later on in Exodus, which is a piece that goes inside the tabernacle with the lampstand and with the um, table of bread, table of bread. But um, they needed it for to light the fire inside the bronze altar. So we'll get there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the grate, it says make a grate for a network of bronze. So it was overlaid. If you think about it, it kind of looks like, how would you compare that? It's almost like... It's like, like I'm thinking of like, like a, a metal grate. Uh, yes, but I think too, it's like almost like an a big b- basket, a big wire basket. Because you figure you lay the sacrifice on the top, mm-hmm. you know, you 
you know what sacrifice it and it burns down yeah and so that you have to be able again everything has to be practical you they had to clean it out so they had to be able to pick it up and pull it out yeah a network of bronze so the grates i'm thinking kind of like a tiered grill if you will yeah but it was grated in the middle like Mm -hmm. with squares instead of like just having slats yeah like this is i have this picture of it where it shows the the, yes like on the outside because they have to be able to lift it out yeah to clean it yeah that makes that makes sense i mean think about it well we're gonna get to it but like daily sacrifice like daily oh yeah they had to clean it out have to be able to yeah so enduring word says the grate provided a floor for the altar so the ashes and burnt remains fell down through the network of bronze the grate also had rings and the poles in which the altar was carried so it kind of lifts out of that outer ring yes of bronze and sets back down for the yeah grate. so like if you think about it i mean i don't know what other comparison to give other than like an external fire pit. I was thinking fire with pit a remo- with a removable grate or or grill yeah. slat, basically. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing that there's nothing that we have that would compare to that right now. I don't think. No, unless you have like an insert for like a solo stove. You know how James has that solo stove. Yeah, that's exactly what I was yeah, thinking. It's like it's square. Yeah, it's it's like an external like portable mm-hmm. fire pit, and then you could put like your grill whatever on it. Your insert. Yeah, in it. In it. To cook something yeah that makes sense okay moving on <laughs> that was the table of um, the bronze the altar. bronze altar yes so now we're going into the second half of 27 which is talking about the court of the tabernacle so the court of the tabernacle is not the tent itself but it's where the tent sits it's also where the table the bronze altar sits is outside the tabernacle itself outside the tent and it's also where like a basin for water we'll get there but that's yeah. where that sits mm-hmm. too it's basically like the yard or it's the courtyard the court yard. it's a court the tabernacle yeah so like if you were walking up to the tabernacle you would see the outer perimeter yeah of the court mm-hmm. like and the then you would the go walls in or whatever. yeah and then you would go in Into. it would be like a kind of like a fairground almost like if you know you're into like a circus yeah and you're walking on the fairground like the fairground it's all yeah grass and or like a fenced in yard or fenced in yard and then you're going into the house exactly how like whenever you walk out the back door your yard is yeah fenced in yeah so similar anyway so that's what we're talking about when we say the court of the tabernacle Mm -hmm. um the specifications for it were pretty extensive um a it was like a fine linen fence almost because it wasn't it couldn't be wood because it had to be light enough to carry yeah. and it had to be easy enough to put up. So it was like a linen fence, like a curtain, like you said. Yeah, it was kind of like picture like two posts and then using the linens in between each post the whole way out to frame or yeah. to frame out the perimeter. Like the linens are and posts are acting like a fence. Yeah. Enduring Word says it provided an area of 150, 150 feet by 75 feet. And the tabernacle only took about one fifteenth of that space. Yeah. So it was big. It was really big. It was big. Because two, you had to think there were millions of Israelites mm-hmm. and everybody was welcome in the court. Mm-hmm. So anybody who wanted to see anything, they had to have enough space for people to get in there yeah. to witness. Or to go into or to go in and pray make or atone or their whatever. Sacrifices. Yeah. Yeah. So it consisted of, let me just read it because there's a lot. You shall make the court of the tabernacle. On the south side of the court shall have hangings of fine twine linen, a hundred cubits long for one side. 
Its twenty pillars and their twenty bases shall be of bronze, but the hooks of the pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. So the pillars we're talking about, so like the base you would sit like a pole mm-hmm. in when they're talking about pillars, they're talking about mm-hmm. poles, um, would be the base would be bronze, the top would be silver, and the ring where the linen would clip yeah. in would be silver. Okay. It's like a pole with a ring on it. Okay. And two tops. Well, okay. not two tops, a top and a bottom. Yeah. <laughs> um, and likewise, for its length on the north side, there shall be hangings a hundred cubits long, its pillars twenty, and their bases twenty of bronze. But the hooks of pillars and their fillets shall be of silver. And for the breadth of the court on the west side, there shall be hangings for fifty cubits with ten pillars and ten bases. The breadth of the court on the front to the east shall be fifty cubits. The hanging for the one side of the gate shall be fifteen cubits with their three pillars and three bases. On the other side, the hanging shall be fifteen cubits with their three pillars and three bases. For the gate of the court, there shall be a screen, 20 cubits long, of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen, embroidered with needlework. It shall have, it shall have four pillars and with them four bases. And all the pillar, no, all the pillars around the court shall be filtered, filleted, no? Filleted. Filleted. All the pillars around the court shall be filleted with silver. Their hook shall be of silver and their bases of bronze. The length of the court shall be 100 cubits and the breadth 50, and the height of and the height five cubits, with hangings of fine twine linen and bases of bronze. All the utensils of the tabernacle for every use, and all its pegs, and all its pegs of the court shall be of bronze. Do you see what we're talking about when we say it's difficult to read? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 hard to get through, you especially... Know, I think if the measurements were in what we would understand, it would be, be a little bit mm-hmm. better, but even then, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting to note that the tops were silver and then as you got down towards the bottom, it was like, I don't want to say lesser, but like the metal was bronze. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. considered it's considered to be lesser than silver. Mm-hmm. And so like you the know closer was... to the top, you know what I mean? Yeah. The higher, the more. Yeah. And the closer you got to God, exactly. everything was gold. And further away. It's the same thing like inwards like from the most holy place where you have the ark of the covenant that was covered in gold Mm -hmm. and then as you come out what was the what was the table for bread gold gold everything inside the tabernacle was gold okay and then as you come out we get to bronze and silver Mm -hmm. as you get further and further away from that holy place and the Mm -hmm. place of most holy yeah that's i just thought that was interesting it's interesting and it's kind of the same with like the entry the one way in is the only place that has colored linens and embroidery. The yeah, whole way around is way just, in. yeah, mm-hmm. one way in. Because why? There's only one way to God. This is also true. <laughs> yes. Enduring Word says the purpose of the court was fourfold. It says it was a barrier that, in that prevented unlawful approach. Mm-hmm. It was a protection keeping out all wild animals. It was a positive line of demarcation between the world and the holy presence of God. Yeah. And with its single gate, it was a way of approach to God. Exactly. The pillars were seven and a half feet tall. That's huge. So if you think about it, you could see the tabernacle outside the wall because the tabernacle itself was 15 feet tall. Oh, that's true. So you could see it. You could see the top of it, but uh-huh. you couldn't see You couldn't it was see there. all of it, mm-hmm. but you could see it. Yeah. Seven and a half feet high. So like that's how tall the, the linens and everything had to be because of how tall the pillars were. Yeah. Enduring Word has this little excerpt. It says, The core of the tabernacle or the temple is an important theme throughout the rest of the Old Testament. This is mainly because the temple itself was inaccessible except to a few priests. All others in Israel met God in the court. We can say by application that God also invites us to come into his courts to praise him. 
Under the new covenant, we appreciate this longing for the court of God's house, but we don't need to stop there. Because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus and his finished work on our behalf, we can come not only to the courts, but also right into the holy presence of God. I like that. (laughs) Yes. So that was the court or the courtyard. It's where the rest of the this the rest of the chapters we're going to read today. It's where everything takes place. Yes. But mind you, again, we're only reading the instructions that God is giving to Moses at this time. This is not necessarily what is happening. Correct. Because right Moses now. is still up on the mountain receiving these yeah. instructions, however it is that he's receiving. Visions yeah. or appearing into heaven yes. or however he's yeah. doing it. Really interesting discussion from last episode. <laughs> yeah. If you haven't listened, go back. We should do further research on that. That's so. The last, the last little snippet of twenty-seven is talking about the oils for the lamps. Yes, which I feel like is kind of out of place. Like, why didn't they talk about this when they talked about the lampstand or lampstand? I don't know, but I think maybe not necessarily the physical or literal meaning behind the. Well, I shouldn't say that meaning is indefinitive, but. Mm-hmm. What I think it the meaning is kind of goes with the daily sacrifice that we're going to get to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah. And the, um, the what do you call it? I don't want to say process. The, the consecration, the consecration, the consecration. Yeah. So ritual, ritual. That's what I mean. Like, because it's that's not a process, a, but right. is it ritual? It's not a festival. Like the... I've been trying to figure out a word for it literally all day. The I mean it's it's technically the consecration process. Yeah. The it's process, process of, of consecration. <laughs> it's like consecrating yourself to God, yeah. you know? Like yeah. it, it is a process. Yeah. So there's multi steps to it and it takes a lot of time and Yeah. I mean, I feel like process is the right word. Yeah. I don't think ritual is the right word. I don't think so. I feel either. like that is and it's definitely not festival things. because no. it's not like it's not a party. A party. Like, it's a very serious thing. There's a lot of food, though. A lot of... Ceremony. Yes, the ceremony of consecration. Consecration? Consecration. Consecration. <laughs> whatever. Process, ceremony. It's fine. It's there. <laughs> it's whatever. So anyway, are we reading about it at all? Yeah. What, the oil? Yeah. Yeah. It's small. It's small. It says, You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn in the tent of meeting outside the veil that is before the testimony. Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statue forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. So it's specifically talking about the lampstand, the oil for the lampstand. Yeah. Um, that's outside the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. Yeah. The only light, the, that lampstand that we talked about in the last episode, the oil the, for it. Yeah. The only light that's in the tabernacle yeah. at all. Um, and there's a lot of connections. There is. That's what I mean. Like when I said at the beginning, like hidden meaning, everything is very intentional. Yes. Too. Yeah. You know, and like everything that it references to and everything that it like means is just there's so much to it it's so many layers it is it's an onion it is is, if you will um a root vegetable yeah the thing i got hung up on with these with you know this portion here is some variations like some translations of the bible say beaten oil like beaten olives Mm -hmm. and some say pressed Pressed. Mm -hmm. and i was like what is the real difference? Because I feel like beaten is just so it much more like aggressive. <laughs> rather you know? than press when you're like, 
You know, you think because of like a gentle like pressing olive, like pressing olives, unripened olives for olive oil is like the very refined process ex- for making pure olive oil. Exactly. And that's why I think part of the reason he chose all was part of the reason he chose olive oils yeah. because it is so like I couldn't find anything though about like the original translation of like if it was beaten or if it was pressed because beaten in my head because it goes back to that verse that I think it was Paul wrote in Corinthians, Second Corinthians. Oh, I read that also. It's, it might be hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Yeah. So like I feel like when you say beaten, you think like beaten, beaten and battered yeah. instead of being pressed, pressed but not crushed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean when I read beaten, but in my head I'm picturing like like a press. Yeah. Like an all I don't know if if an olive press is a thing, but like it is. Yeah. I've made one up in my head and that's what I'm envisioning. Yeah. Like it's a press. It's not like a you beat it with a stick yeah like what is you don't like you beat eggs like it's not it's not like you take a stick and just smack it yeah like you're like, you're putting olives in it and then you take something it's kind of like a garlic press you take exactly it down what i'm envisioning and press push the it oil down. out of it yeah. and then it's a whole process of getting it refined down to its like exactly. natural properties exactly which i watched in a whole that documentary one about making olive oil did you really i did <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's just I mean, we spent, what, three minutes talking about the oil alone, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's just the process of making it and how symbolic that is. Well, it has to be pure, number one. Like, it has to be the purest oil because it is the light of the tabernacle, Mm -hmm. which is supposed to be the light that's... Jesus. Yeah. You know, Jesus said himself he was the light of the world. Like, and that's what... They're supposed to be reflected in the people of Israel, the light that's in the tabernacle. That's why it's never supposed to go out. Yeah. Because if the light of the church... Or the tabernacle goes out, it's bad. Yes. Means that God has peace out. Right. We're not here anymore. He's back on. (laughs) He doesn't do that. Um, So some of the parallels that I had were just that it provides, you know, we talked about it being the light and about God and Jesus being the light provides mm -hmm. heat. It does. Um, The fact that it was something you had to check on daily. Had to be tended to. Daily. I just made a note that says it was a continual a continual reminder forcing the people of Israel or forcing us to be with and to remember God. Mm-hmm. Because you had to do that, you had to make a conscience effort to do it. Much like, you know, today. Like how many times, like, even if you get up in the morning and you do like a devotion and you pray or whatever, how many times throughout the day do you subconsciously forget? Mm-hmm. You know? Like, yeah. whether it's because you missed a green light or, you know, it's just what I thought. Yeah, no. I was watching something today that was pretty good. It In was your olive oil documentary. No, it was some real on social media. Um, But it was like a sketch illustration. And it was like this person who would, you know, walk with Jesus for a minute and then go down the path of fun and then go so far, so far away. And then be like, I wonder if he's still there. And then come back and just be like, all right, let's start where we left off you know and then like it kept going and it was just like okay well jesus is standing there saying you know well think about me read read about me like pick up your word and he's like i'm busy right now i'll get i'll get to it Mm -hmm. i promise i'll i'll do it and Mm -hmm. then like it just never does yeah so like it's that constant battle between 
the world and yeah, God. Exactly. And it's pulling you in two different directions. Exactly. Because you have to make like a conscious effort mm-hmm. to be like, okay, yeah, I need to get up 15 minutes earlier. And that's that whole, it's the whole process of consecration. I mean, like it's not in the sense of what we're going to talk about today with these priests, but you consecrate yourself to God on a daily basis. Yeah. And you're in that you further yourself, you further die to yourself to give yourself to Christ. Exactly. Like, and it's a whole thing. It's a lifelong struggle. Exactly. <laughs> and God knew that in Exodus. In Exodus. Like he, yet again, we just see him continuing to cater to our humanity. Yes. Like through all of this, this entire time, everything is so intentional because he has already made a plan to save us. Mm-hmm. It's just, I may or may not have cried twice today <laughs> when looking at these notes because of how much he loves us. Yes. I, you just, you know, <laughs> I mean, like almost ugly it. cried at my desk. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I love it. I love it. So about the lamps. Enduring word says from the verse that talks about Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening till morning because they're going to be the priests. Yeah. They're the only ones that are allowed in the tabernacle. So they're the ones that have to tend to it. Yes. The priests were to tend the lamps, making sure that the lamps had oil to burn and that their wicks were trimmed so that the lamps would never go out, especially during the night. God never wanted the lamps to lose their fire. Only by a continual supply of oil and trimming of the wicks could keep them burning. We can only continue to be on fire for God Mm. (laughs) if we are continually supplied with the oil of the Holy Spirit and are trimmed by God to bear even more light. So, you know what I just thought of? And Mm. maybe you thought of this, but comparing the trimming of the wicks to the pruning that Jesus talks about, mm-hmm. yeah, of the vine in the New Testament. It's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, I'm not going to cry again. I feel like you are. <laughs> <Not>. <laughs> anyway, that was the end of 27. I feel like we're making pretty good time. Yeah. Unlike I've, our other episodes. <laughs> yeah. I feel like these next two, I think, are going to be pretty... We'll be at an hour. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I skimmed over these. A lot of this, I... I just got listened to, yeah. if you will. So this is going to sound terrible, but I got kind of bored. I got bored reading it. So because it's talking about clothes and I'm just like, OK, yes, I and get I, it. I get the point. Mm-hmm. I understand. There's just so much elaboration. Well, yeah. And I think, too, like this is I, he's just providing Moses with the instruction. It is. So yeah. and he, yeah. he had to be elaborate. Yeah. Because he had to go back and be like, hey, make this. Yeah. You know, exactly. And it's a very important part because it's supposed to be beautiful and it's supposed to be, you know, it's supposed to glorify God. What's up? Yes. I was just trying to move this away from my your face microphone. A. Yes. Um, I thought this was interesting before we start. Are we going to read it? We can. I mean, I, I mean, I feel like there's no other way around it, to be honest. Yeah. Because there's so much in- yeah. intricacy within. Yeah all of it yeah so before we start reading i was listening you know to the exodus series from dr peterson and one of the gentlemen on there was talking about how dress code Uh and a study he had read about about children that go to schools that have dress codes have higher grades the teachers are happier there's not as much violence Mm mm-hmm um and i just thought that was really interesting and it just goes to show you the importance of having a dress code i mean which this chapter is essentially giving us he's giving I mean, yeah, us a dress code for us, the priests yeah for the priests and for the people of lower station exactly so like even if you even if outside of school if you look at like the royal family for example like the queen and all that um 
the people who work in her well in their house had like they have certain things on their arms or even like in the military like yeah, you have or, certain things that set you apart that's that help the outside world right. and tell other people within your right. organization what station you are of. yes in in two in this series dr peterson says you know my father growing up was a teacher and every morning he would get up and put on a suit mm-hmm. and he said he put on a suit because i mean it was first job yes but it was more so to also show respect to the students as well yeah and then too like if you're walking on campus like how many times did you go to class in sweatpants you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and whereas like not all the professors but a lot of the professors will be in you know business attire or business casual yeah yeah that makes sense i mean you can even like apply it to the church today Mm -hmm. i feel like personally i have a lot more respect for people who are in charge of the church or in positions of power at the church to dress appropriately to church. Yeah. And the congregation should dress appropriately to church as well. It shows respect not only for the church, not only for the people, the pastor, everybody else, and for the congregation, vice versa, but also shows respect to God. Exactly. That's why it's called Sunday Best. (laughs) Can you tell my Southern Baptist came out a little bit right there? just a tad anyway so going into the priest's garments so is this i was a little confused is this talking about the priest or like the most high priest so they i don't remember at the beginning we go i think we go from most high we start at the top and then we come down Mm -hmm. i think i don't remember so let's read and find out okay so before we start sorry (laughs) i think we should only read the parts that are talking about the clothes i find by me um, but two, we also should point out that the priesthood that we're talking about, the people who are able to wear these clothes, who are going to be consecrated to God, are from a bloodline. It is not just from random people exactly. off the street. Exactly. Like Aaron is God's appointed most high priest and his bloodline, his sons are the people who are to fill. It's a generational thing. Yeah. And I have a whole thing on that. So is here where I should talk about yeah. that? So the priests of Israel, I think we've talked about vaguely before yeah. are from aaron and moses line specifically aaron's line yeah and they are levites so yeah. they're from the levi is it levi tribe levi mm-hmm. of israel well remember because levi was one of the sons of israel yes mm-hmm. or jacob yeah. yes so he god appoints aaron and yes at this point in time it is a genetic thing is yeah. how you're chosen to be a priest and i i was like okay well what if what if somebody else decides they want to be a priest and i forget wh- which source i had heard it in i think it was in that exodus conversations by the enduring you can't word. sit with us <laughs> <laughs> are you wearing sweatpants <laughs> anyway as he crosses his legs and his bells jingle right. <laughs> um so god appoints he's the one who chooses Mm -hmm. and so with that with him choosing the genetic line he is completely taking out man's hand oh yeah because at this point in time you want to be a priest no sorry no he picks not because how many descendant of aaron sorry right so i mean he's he's shown his hand all throughout our story so far he picks clearly ishmael exactly and exactly god god chooses and the fact that he's yes and the fact that 
<laughs> it's been many years since we've talked about him. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so I don't remember what I was. And the say. fact that I he got distracted with thinking, like, well, Isaac was. And the fact that Jacob's he, father. You said, and the fact that he. He appoints his choosing. This is not a self-appointed thing. Mm-mm. Priest is more than I think I'd like to do that or I want to do that. By God choosing the genetic line, much like how God chose or, you know, it's not always the firstborn, but the firstborn is the yeah. one that, you know, yeah. God picks. And I think it was interesting, too, because I'm like, OK, well, why can anybody be a pastor or a priest now? They can't. Like they, I well, mean... I guess they can. So priests and pastors now are called through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Um, because when you come to Christ through faith, it's somewhere in First Peter chapter 2. What are you making that face for? You know, I'm just forward thinking to Revelation and uh, about how there's going to be false teachers. So I yeah. guess not all priests now are yeah. called through Jesus well, Christ. You just have to also watch out for wolves the and real, sheep's clothing. The real ones are called through Jesus Christ yeah. now. <laughs> so, but any person who comes to faith through Jesus, yes. Jesus calls us a priest. Yes. So the genetic line of becoming a priest is the old covenant. It we is. are now in the new covenant. Yep. So just keep that in mind because I got hung up on that for a little while. Yep. I'm like, yep. Okay. But what if, no, that's just not how it was. I mean, it's the same, it's kind of like the same situation with the Pope. Like, get me started. You know, like that's a genetic line, right? I think somehow they're an elected, but it's genetic. I don't know what it is. I don't. Um, so yeah, but anyways, I just got stuck a little bit on the fact that this was a genetic thing and not like a. Because, too, I have to keep remembering, and you, I'm glad you pointed out in the last episode, is that right now, the Holy Spirit is not, mm-hmm. because, like, now, you know, you can feel called to the do something. The Holy Spirit exists. Jesus Christ exists. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But in, not in the terms that we understand it. Right. And the exactly. people do not have that inner Holy Spirit. That inner voice or whatever. Them, exactly. Guiding so them. They wouldn't feel like people that are truly called into ministry in whatever shape or form are called yes through jesus christ and the holy spirit whom the israelites don't know yet exactly so and um two you also have to think about what god is setting up right now he's setting up the future processes of this worship of these people to him Mm -hmm. and it's very infantile in its stages so like to have him ha and everybody else and his cousin out here coming in and just be like i'm a priest i'm a priest and you can't have exactly that. you have to have a single person who knows exactly who's connected you know mm-hmm. and who directly precisely corresponds with god and not everybody can do that yes so i mean it makes sense that it's aaron because aaron with moses corresponded this with god whole thing it's like god knew so anyway the very beginning yeah don't get butt hurt about the fact that nobody else can be a priest right now it's fine yeah it's the old covenant it's the old covenant anyway okay moving on to the holy garments they're for glory and for beauty i like how everything in here is are we reading yeah are we just talking we're reading okay i I mean i don't care i mean where do they start talking about because we've already talked about the genetics and everything okay here we go make the garments to consecrate him for my priesthood these the garments that they shall make a breast piece and a fod is that how you would say that a fod well, I think a robe. I think it's really interesting to go back to because I know we just had talked about the Holy Spirit in verse three. It says, "You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit 
of skill of skill Mm -hmm. that they make aaron's garments that they make aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood so again this is why i kind of wanted to bring up the holy spirit Mm -hmm. is because they're not as we've established 10 seconds ago that yes the holy spirit and jesus christ exist just the people don't know them yet and they've seen he's using the spirit the holy spirit to fill these people so they know how to make now wait hold on tangent moment do we get our gifts from the holy spirit like are our spiritual gifts from the holy spirit are they from god because that's when i read this i didn't think of the holy spirit i thought of our spiritual gifts from god you know what i don't know i didn't even look at that because i know like that our spiritual gifts are essentially and we'll talk about this whenever we get to it later it's a they're soup they're basically supernatural powers that are part of our literal dna yeah so i mean a spirit of skill like that's just where my brain went because like they gave them the, the specific spiritual skill mm-hmm. to handcraft these garments that were supposed to be glorifying and beautiful for god yeah i mean i think you could you could probably it swing it either way, way. yeah <laughs> i the reason i said that was just because i was thinking literal and that's what um yeah enduring word said God promises special gifting from the Holy Spirit given to the craftsmen of these garments. I mean that, yeah. So that makes sense. But you're you're right, and I and I don't know at what point spiritual gifts come into play because the spiritual because maybe he it was a combination like he gave them spiritual gifts through the Spirit. Yeah, you know that makes the most sense to me. I don't know because after Jesus died at the day of Pentecost, that's when this Holy, the Holy Spirit, Spirit came, came down. Yeah, but maybe though he filled these people with the Spirit, and thus they were thus they received a spiritual gift, and so only these people had it. Maybe that makes sense. And did they only have it? And then did they only have it for a limited time? Probably not, because they'd have to make them for future people. This is true. This is all conjecture, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> it is. But like these are like the tangents that like my mind my goes brain on. Goes I'm, I never even thought of that. Yeah. Anyway, but yes, so he appointed special people to make these yeah. garments for mm-hmm. these priests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So the garments they shall make are a breast piece, an afad, maybe a robe, mm-hmm. a coat of checker work, a turban and a sash. They shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall make they shall receive gold, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. Okay. keep in mind like all the materials for this we covered in the last episode they're coming from the israelites giving them willingly yes so it's not the like they're having to go out and buy this stuff the this is yeah yeah <laughs> My, yeah it's bad so <laughs> My, yeah it's bad it's fine. i don't know what an afad <laughs> is do you know what an afad is um i don't i looked up a, I don't i looked up a picture of what um I have a picture of what the actual thing the whole looked thing like. looked yeah. like together, but I don't know what piece was the afad. I mean, like what? the afad, the breastplate. You have. I have this thing. The turban looks like a brain. Yeah, I will get to the turban. Um. So the breastplate's pretty simple. I'm thinking the afad is like the purple underlay f- underneath the breastplate. Let me read. Yeah. Do that. Two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together and skillfully. Yeah, it is. So it's like you have like the whole dress. I mean, it was technically a dress, a yes, robe, it was. but you had the whole dress and then you had the afad, which is like the decorative piece that goes underneath the breastplate, which has a bunch of gemstones on mm-hmm. it and stuff. So it was like that little decorative like apron. apron. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Okay. okay. So they shall make an afad of gold, of blue and of 
purple and scarlet yarns and fine twilled linen skillfully worked. It should have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges so that it may be joined together. And a skillfully woven band on it shall have fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel. Six of their names on one stone and the names of the remaining six on the other stone and the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. Mm-hmm. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. <laughs> Do you like that? And you shall <laughs> set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree. And two chains of pure gold twisted like cords, and you shall attach the corded chains to the settings. So let me go back to my picture and make sure that I was correctly saying that it was the... think so? Yep. Yeah. It's that, like, piece that goes over it's top. It's this piece right yeah. here. And then, like, the, the waistband. Yeah. So what do you want to talk about first? I don't even know where to begin. It was a lot. Yes, it was. So... I guess we'll start at the top. Stones on the shoulders with the Israelite. Mm-hmm. The sons of Israel written on them. Yep. Is, and I'm sure you have this, but is quite symbolic of the fact that the priest, the high priest, mm-hmm. who is the only one that can, you know. Come to God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in, I think he's the only one that can go into. The most high place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is too, is that he is carrying the burden of the Israelite people on his shoulders. I thought about that. Yes, in that, um, like, he is carrying the burden of them. He is carrying their cares, their sins. Their, not that he's, the sins were transferred to him, but you know what I well, mean. Well, you also have to think, the Most High Priest intercedes on the people's yes. behalf yes. to say, God. Because the priest can talk to God, yes. but then the prophet can speak from God. Yes. So, basically, the Most High Priest on the Day of Atonement comes in with the blood sacrifice sacrifice to to put on the mercy seat for the atonement of sins of the people of of israel correct so like that's why he carries the names of israel on on his his shoulders shoulders. yeah because he is the intermediary between god and the people yes there's not much to this to the ephod i mean yeah that's really all i have it's a decorative apron and like the two gemstones are really the most important piece yeah the most symbolic yeah whatever and this this whole get up is supposed to be very beautiful yes it looks beautiful i mean i'd wear it as maybe not the turban has a diamond how big do you think that diamond was i don't want to think about it (laughs) okay on to the breastplate the breastplate the fan blew my bible pages over Mm. okay what verse is that 15 okay you shall make a breastplate of judgment (laughs) In skilled work, in the style of the ephod, you shall make it. Of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twilled linen, you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span. A span was about nine inches. Okay. Um, its length <laughs> and a span its breadth. And you shall set in it four rows of stones, a row, a row of s- sardius, sardius topaz, carbuncle, this- is that how you would say that? That's how I read it. Right. <laughs> Shall be the first row. And the second row, row, an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a mm-hmm. Janison? Jan- Janison? Janus? I don't know. Mm. And a gate and an amethyst. 
And the fourth row, wow, I don't even know what these jewels are. Burl. A beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the 12 tribes. You shall make for the breastpiece twilled chains like cords of pure gold, and you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of gold and the two rings at the edges of the breastpiece. Okay. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree, and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. It's basically like a sh- a, you're tying a shield, is what I'm envisioning. Yeah, you just tie it around yourself. I just got lost with all the cords and the tying and the... And the twos and the... Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, refer back to the picture. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's tied to the stones Yeah, that are on their shoulders, and it's kind of like a... F- flip up type of deal yeah it looks like I, which is tied and sewn into hooks or like loops in the actual fod yeah it's like an i mean i don't know other way any other way to say it other than it's like an attachment it's like an, it's like an attachment but it's a pocket it's like an apron over an apron kind of yeah but it's not as big it's a square right it would just be like the piece that goes over your chest it's a, bre- it's a breastplate it's a breastplate Okay. You shall make two rings of gold and put them at the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them in front of the lower part of the two shorter pieces of the ephod as its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the, to the rings of the ephod with the lace of blue so that it may lie skillfully woven band... Mm. Jeez, so that it may lie on the skillfully woven band of the ephod, so that the breast piece shall not come loose from the ephod. That whole section was just talking about how you're going to affix it to the ephod. How we're going to affix the breast piece to the larger garment. How you're going to affix the breast piece to the apron. Yeah, like which is what we just talked about. The ephod. Okay. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim mm-hmm. and the Thermimim. There's no R in there. Thermimim. And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Okay. Woo! Was, you're reading the next one. I was going to say no, so I didn't read. I followed <laughs> along. I did not read. <laughs> it's a lot. It is a lot. Um. So really the main things that I pulled out of this were was the fact that where is this now where where is this where is this outfit now that's what i want to know because can you imagine how big probably, those stones I mean, let's are be real it was probably plundered yeah you're right that's sad anyway um was the fact that i mean should we start with the bigger picture and go in or the smaller picture and go out smaller picture go out okay Let's smaller picture go out um each stone obviously represents a tribe of israel yep um and he's wearing those over his heart over his chest because you not only have to like 
work for the people physically and work for the people but you have to wear them on your like on your heart you have to want to serve the people you have, you to, have love to love the people. the people yes um and of course you know then you wear the people on your heart when you go in like as god said so that you remember them when you're in the most holy place yeah so then going out you have one breast piece there showing unification yep. like the 12 tribes of israel so in the exodus series one of the gentlemen makes a very good point of pointing out that there is diversity in the unification mm -hmm. so um there's that and then the your the yermum and the thummim yeah the your it's yermum and thummim okay uh basically what those were now i didn't do a whole lot of research on this this is just what i heard in the conversations in exodus is is that they were like two little stones and sometimes when the priest you know needed to answer or needed to know something from god i mean it was obviously much more extensive than this but it was basically yes or no yeah and you pulled out and whichever one you pulled out was what god wanted you to what, have yeah was his decision yeah. yeah and of course that was not something you just it was not like a magic you know like a magic eight ball or something like they would pray over it and you know that type of thing i mean so, it was called the breastplate of judgment because yeah. it held those two stones. exactly because exactly. it, it it was tools for discerning god's will mm -hmm. precisely that's what enduring word says that's not me precisely and the fact that like you said you know about how heavy was it you did you just say about how heavy it would be or was that i thinking that in my head you said it uh oh how heavy this whole thing must be but how heavy what's the word carrying not the literally whole people. yeah carrying the sins and carrying the people of israel how heavy of a task or a duty that is i mean think about it if you were in aaron's shoes and you had to go before the lord only you could do it you wouldn't be hearing those bells jingle for very long right you'd be hearing them run out of the tabernacle <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> all right um that's all i had on the breast piece yes i mean i don't really have anything else besides okay that. boom onto the turban is it the turban or is it the I robe? That's the next thing I have in my notes. I, don't know. I think it's the robe. I have nothing on the robe, but let's read it. I don't have anything on the robe either. Go ahead, read it. It's uh, 31 through 35. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue. It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening in a garment, so that it may not tear. On its hem, you shall take you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem with bells of gold between them a golden bell in a pomegranate a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe and it shall be on Aaron when he ministers and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he does not die what so is he worried about sneaking up on God no the bells are <laughs> for a few things because number one there are a lot of very strict rules i think of what you can and cannot do in the most holy place because that's like yeah where god is yeah right yeah so only the high priest and moses could go in there right could moses, go, moses in there? could go in there. i don't know that's why i don't know so I'm asking. i don't think so anyway. i'm not sure so because nobody else could go behind the curtain into the most holy place, the bells served to let the people know and the other priests know when he was back there, if they could hear the bells, that he was still alive, mm. that he didn't die. So, again, God catering to our humanity. And also, too, 
that because of that reason, that sound also served as a reminder and as a, what's the word, as a, not differentiation, but like when people heard they, that sound, they knew it was the high priest. Oh. You know? Yeah. Pretend like you're working. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My Bible so, says about the, so that he does not die. Yeah. Because approaching God carelessly can lead to exactly. death. Exactly. Every aspect of the tabernacle yeah. service involves intentional actions on the part of the priests and the people that are meant to teach Israel that the Lord is holy. The Lord did not need to be alerted to Aaron's presence by the sound of the bells, but they served to greet God reverently when Aaron entered and left the tabernacle. Yeah. I also heard, read too that not only like the bells so that the people would know that he was still alive because you know like that says about how if yeah. you approach him you know the wrong way that they would and this to the source that I had read I heard it oh, I didn't read it I heard it in the conversations in Exodus he said he found, saw this in a, a non-biblical source so how true it is you know yeah take it with a grain of salt but that they would also tie like a piece of rope around their ankle when they would go in because nobody else could go in there yeah so like nobody else knew yeah so like if you you know whatever happened and you died back there nobody have else to could pull back your body somehow. exactly exactly <laughs> exactly i know it's, it Dang. sounds so morbid but like <laughs> God, you can kick one of these cherubim and just be like, sweep them off to the side. <laughs> right? Like, and the pomegranates that they're talking about, they're like pom-poms. Pom-poms. what I'm picturing. Yeah. Pom- I'm, I'm thinking cat toy. Sorry. Between the bells and the pom-poms. It's terrible. But like, that's what I'm envisioning. Like a pom-pom with a little jingle on it. And also, too, that the sound, you know, I think you read this, was a reminder of the reverence of God. and mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, how sweet to be able to talk to him is because you know the sound of a bell okay um we've not even made it to consecra- consecration no and it's an hour and four minutes in yeah okay um i mean are we gonna are we gonna go through the consecrate we should what do you tell me i mean it's gonna be a long episode but yeah we're already at an hour five you tell me i mean we've done an hour and a half episode before we have and is there really that much other than like the specifics of it? No, no. It, my notes look like a lot, but that's just because I typed out word for word. So let's continue on. The priest garments. Now are we on to the turban? Yes. I just stopped. Uh, 36. Okay. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord, and you shall fasten it on the turban of a cord of blue it shall be on the front of the turban it shall be on aaron's forehead and aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of israel consecrate as their holy gifts it shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the lord so basically what it's very so you have a turban yeah it's a hat it's a big what I think of, and this is not, I'm compared to the picture. I always think I wrap my hair in a towel, right? After I get out you of the shower. You were thinking like, and that's, um, you, and that's, and you twist it and it's on top of your head. And I mean, essentially it doesn't look like that, but that's pretty well what it is. And then the golden plate mm-hmm. that lays on your forehead that says, you know. Holy is, is the Lord. Yeah. Holy is the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. Holiness to the Lord. I don't know. It says something like that. Holy to the Lord. Yeah. Let me bring up my notes. That it's the holy holiness to the Lord is at the top. 
Mm-hmm. We talked about earlier, you know, as you get further down. Yeah. You know, that of course there would be a piece of gold on the top laid across your forehead for everybody to see and for it to be a constant reminder to you of the Lord's holiness. Yes. And then just a fun fact that I read about the turban. They believed that it used about eight yards of fabric. I see that. Yeah. Nothing else on that because I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. I think the importance of the fact that the gold plate that says holy to the Lord is across your forehead. I mean, I think that's all pretty self-explanatory. Consecration? Tunic. Tunic. I have nothing on the tunic. turban, sash. Okay. You shall weave the coat and checker work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's son, you shall make for Aaron's... Aaron's sons. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty, and you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests." You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. Yeah, so the last part of that is talking about the basic linen garments that the descendants of Aaron would wear as they are not high priest. They're just okay. That makes sense. They're simple linen clothes. Like Mm -hmm. they, yes, they still have to wear underwear. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's furthering like that status, that station. Like, yes, they are priests. They are servants of the, of the Lord. They're going to have sashes and caps, but they're not the most going to be ornate and they're going to be covered in diamonds. Exactly. and, And gemstones and things. Okay. They're just of lower station. Exactly. But they are still priests. They still have to go through the consecration process. Yeah, because they are still priests. Yep. Okay. The consecration of the priests. Here we are. We are here. We've made it. Before we start, this is probably going to be a very long episode. Yes. So take take a a pause. Go to the bathroom. Grab a snack. Come back to us. This is a very important part. Welcome back to the Allergic to Grace podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Yep, Consec- consecration of the priests. I found this whole, like this whole consecration process interesting. It's very interesting. Consecration of the priests starts chapter twenty nine. Here we go. You want me to do it, or you want to do it? Do we need to? Do we need to read it? <laughs> no. Oh, where I don't think we need to read it word for word. I think we can start reading it when they start talking about the blood around. <laughs> No, because the first part is them washing them with okay, water. Okay, yeah, so four. So you need to gather certain things. You need to take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them a fine wheat flour. You will put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. You shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. You shall take the garments and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the afad and the afad and the breastpiece and the gird and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the afad and you shall set the turban on his head and put a holy crown 
on the turban. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them, and you shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them. And the priesthood shall be theirs by statute forever. Thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. So ordaining Aaron and his sons, the process of ordination, 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 ordination is what follows the sacrifices, the blood spattering, all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. This whole thing, this whole thing. But before they ordain them, they have to cleanse them and dress them. Yeah. And anoint them. And anoint them. So it's like that process of cleaning. Yes. I thought it was really interesting. The Enduring Word talked about the fact that they say, where is it? That you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. We're not talking about how, you know, you may go up to the altar to pray and they give you, you know, the little oil cross on your forehead. They're talking about pouring oil that because i think there's a reference i forget where he says it is maybe in second peter somewhere where they talk about oil dripping from aaron's beard that that's how much was poured over him i mean do you remember when mary magdalene poured oil all over jesus and how upset her sister was because that oil could have been it was very expensive and it could be used for something else Mm -hmm. like that was a whole bottle yeah same thing yeah like you have to have, I think it's supposed to cover your whole head yes. when you're anointing something. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting, but gross. You just took a shower. Like why? You're only going to get messier. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so anyway, so they were publicly washed. Yes, this is happening. In, yes, publicly washed at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Mm-hmm. Enduring word said it was humbling because it took place publicly. We cannot be cleansed from our sin without being humbled first. Which is a thousand percent true. Yeah. And this was done. And the reason I say this is this was done outside yes. of the tent of meeting. It was not before they could even go inside. This all had to be done. Yep. And um, it points to, and this is from Enduring Word, that outward rituals point to an inward reality. Mm-hmm. So they, they were doing this publicly. And this is, again, God catering to our humanity, showing an outward expression or showing yeah you know a difference or you know difference between the high priests and the people what's the what am i looking for differentiation setting them apart mm-hmm. by doing all this them. yeah this great cleansing of them being publicly washed was like a one-time thing they didn't yes. have to they didn't have to do it right mm-hmm. um so ordaining aaron and his sons So it says, then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. And you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, you shall burn with fire outside the camp. It is a sin offering. Yeah. So basically, when he's telling them to place their hands on the bull, and this is where I forget which words exactly, but like can be translated to pressing their hands on the bowl. It was not light. No. And we go back to the whole pressing for the olive oil because they were to be atoning and putting their sins onto this bowl, transferring it from themselves to 
the bull mm-hmm. as a payment and then as the sacrificing sacrifice was the payment for their sin. Yeah. And I think they had to kill it. I think so. You shall kill the bull before the Lord. Like they had to kill it. They, because it was their sin. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The sin offering is where we left off, right? Yes. The bull was the sin offering. Now we have the two rams left. Yes. Then you shall take one of the rams and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and shall take its blood and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces and wash its entrails and legs and put them with its pieces and its head and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. So again, too, with the pressing of the hands, they're still atoning for their sin. Yeah, there's a difference. The difference is, is, is that this time the ram is showing a life completely given to God. A surrender because yeah. this time we're burning the whole thing on the altar in the courtyard. We're not burning some of it outside the camp. Mm-hmm. So we have atonement. Like the sin offering. This, mm-hmm, and now we have the burnt offering. Yes, there is. We have the anointing. Oh, yeah. No, never mind. Not we're past that. Anyway, I was going back on my notes. But so the bull was to represent atonement for sin. The first ram is to represent a life completely given. Mm-hmm. You're surrendering your life to God and his works. Okay. So you shall take the other ram and Aaron and his son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram and you shall kill the ram and take. Did I already read that? No. And take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tips of the right ears of his sons and on the thumbs of their right hands and on the great toes of their right feet and throw the rest of the blood against the side of the altar. Then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and on the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy and his sons and his sons garments with him. So, so now we're putting blood on people. Yeah. Now we're putting blood on people. So <laughs> the consecration offering. Yes. The second ram is the consecration offering. So the blood on the right ear. Now they're doing everything on the right side because the right side is supposed to be like your skilled side. Like your, your. It's, it was considered superior with more strength. Yeah. And skill. Your right side was, is, was the side of skill and strength. So they put it on your ear because the blood you're supposed to listen to God. Yep. He's the only one you take, you know, instruction from. Um, and then your right hand, because what do you use your hand for? To do actions, to do works. And so you're going to do works for God. You're giving your works and your servitude to God. Um, and then I don't have anything specific for your toe, but I would imagine it is something like you're going to go where God tells you to go. You're going to you you walk. Know. Yeah. You walk in his word. Exactly. Like you live your life. And Enduring Words says that they mixed the blood and the oil. Yeah, they did. Took a spray bottle and was like, I mean, I, this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm but just yeah, that's probably about, what happened. They probably just went, flick. Yeah, like they mix it together and flick it on, on your clothes mm-hmm. and smells probably really bad. It's probably really hot in the sun. So it's probably also drying really fast. At least it dried fast. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. That's what I have for the second ram and the blood mixture. Yes. Are we going to get to the meat waving? Is that next? The fats. We're yeah. doing the fats now. Okay. Um, 
Yes. So we have heave and peace offerings in this. Mm -hmm. You shall also take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh for it is a ram of ordination and one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unloving bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on the top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma before the Lord. It is a food offering to the Lord. So they didn't eat this, right? Nope, they didn't eat this. They didn't eat this part. This is the wave offering. Yeah. I have nothing. So it's a enduring word says part of the second ram, the best parts were put together with the bread cake and the wafer and was first weighed before God in an act of presentation. Then these portions were burnt on the altar as an act of complete devotion because you're supposed to give the best and the first of your labors to God, to God and, and the right side, basically what they were doing. Yeah. It was the right thigh. We just talked about the right side being skill and strength yep. and superior. Yep. So that makes sense. Mind you, we're waving around charred meat. It's not charred yet. We're waving around fat, blood. There's innards and everything flying everywhere. And bread. Disgusting. It sounds so gross. The The burning, yes. In 26, it says, You shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed to the ram of ordination. From what was Aaron's and his sons. It shall be for Aaron and his sons a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. So the remaining portion of the ram was given to Aaron and the other priests for to be eaten by them. Yeah. In the days of their consecration ceremony. Yes. Because it's seven days. It's a long time. Did we read that yet? No, it's coming up. Okay. Yeah, it's they have to do this process of sacrificing and stuff with the rams. With the rams for daily. 7 days, daily for the next 7 days. So, yep. Okay. And they eat it. So like the eating did not begin the consecration process. No. It came after washing the clothing, the blood yeah. atonement of the priests. Yes. It speaks of the continuing the relationship with the of the priest with God. Yeah, so I have that because think about eating, it's personal. Yep. It's inward. Mm-hmm. You have to actively do it. You have to take it in. Yeah. You mm-hmm. ha- you have to be the one that does it. Yep. Somebody somebody else can feed you, but somebody else cannot eat for you. Yeah. Just like no one else can have a relationship with Jesus exactly. on your behalf. Exactly. And two, you know, it arises out of a sense of need. Yep. It does. You have to eat. And think about how like this is was kind of funny because i was listening to this whole thing while i was eating my lunch and Mm -hmm. i I was hungry today like my stomach was growling like and then after you eat how much better you feel yeah so how much better do you feel after you have accepted christ or after you begin a life with god yeah you know yeah it's satisfying if you will so the next part is just talking about the garments of aaron how it's going to be passed down to his sons Mm -hmm. and it's going to stay in his bloodline Mm -hmm. So the son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. And Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh, the ram and the bread that's in the baskets in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things 
with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but an outsider shall not eat with them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh for the ordination or the bread remain until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire and it shall not be eaten because it is holy. Um, so basically they're doing this whole, like we said, everything for seven days. Yes. The same thing. Yes. It says through seven days, you shall ordain them and every day you shall offer a bull as sin offering for atonement and you shall purify the altar when you make the atonement for it and it shall anoint to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. It kind of flash forward a little bit. So the seven days of atonement, the seven days of consecration of the priests, when a new high priest comes in, they're supposed to repeat this process. Yes, the seven day process. For seven days. Yeah. The same process that we just went through with the bull, with the two rams yeah. and everything like that. It's supposed to be every single day for seven days. Yes. And I kind of have a thing, and maybe you do too, Enduring Word talks about it a little bit of, you know, why you had to do that for seven days. And it's basically to put a focus number one on the seriousness of priesthood yeah it is to take away the glamour of being a priest so like you know people we were talking about it earlier it's very labor intensive choosing like oh yeah but i want to be a priest but like this is to show like there's nothing glamorous about yeah you know yeah um after we're no longer having the high priest is in place there's nobody new coming in yes they are to, comes the last part of the thing. They are to sacrifice two lambs every single day. No. Yes. Every yes. day. Yeah. Every day. Two lambs every day. A year old every day. Um, And this practice went on until the time of the New Testament. Correct. Like they would sacrifice a lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. Mm-hmm. And that was what the priests ate, right? No. Did they eat it? I don't I'm think they sure. ate it. I don't think they ate the lamb. I don't know. But I really don't know. Because it said it would be their gift. Their their Is that the lamb or are they talking about the ram? Okay. For the original process. It was the ram. Maybe I'm thinking about the ram. A continual consecration. Yeah. Continual atonement for the people of Israel. Yes. Is what the daily is what the purpose of the two lambs were because this was something that they did every single day. Yes. It regardless shall be a of regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent, meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak with you there. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord, their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. That was the end of Boom, 29. the end of 29. Now, all of this, like all of these actions to consecrate the priests and all of these things, again, isn't something that they did in order to become a priest. Like, it's not something that 
it's not an action they right. took to become a right. priest to consecrate themselves. Yes. It's actions that they did take to remove quote unquote barriers yes. from God. Mm-hmm. And God did the footwork. I like that. God was the one who consecrated again. God yeah. was the one that made them holy. Exactly. Nobody else did that. Yes. Very good. Because, you know, like the Bible said, coming to God, like they need to have bells on the bottom of the freaking high priest's dress, coming to him without taking these specific steps you will die yeah it's i mean i don't want to say it's dangerous but it's like touching the ark of the covenant yeah exactly like you and it's not to say that it's not to come off like it's because we're not worthy no we're not worthy we're not worthy no but no we we fall so short of of his expectations for us we fall so short of his holiness that we we are not even worthy to look upon the ground that he walks like (laughs) if we still did do the sacrificial lamb thing i would probably have to do three like i would do an extra one just to make sure but but that's what they had to do in order to come to to grot to god to talk to him Mm -hmm. like they had to kill animals daily yeah to come to talk to him and jesus broke that barrier for us yeah I mean, not that it was a barrier, but you know what I mean? Like, he's the one that broke that tradition that we don't have to do that anymore. He he broke that cycle. Exactly. Yes. Because we had to have blood atonement mm-hmm. to come to to come to God. Yeah. Like, at all. Yep. Because we are sinners. We are dead in our sin. Exactly. That's why that phrase exists. You are dead in your sin because you cannot approach God being a sinner. Yes. You will die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And on that note. Right? <laughs> <laughs> i think it's time for our favorite verse i think it is too this episode has gone on for far too long yeah. <laughs> so um, sorry our favorite verses are 29 45 and 46 i will dwell among the people of israel and will be their god and they shall know that i am the lord their god who brought them out of the land of egypt that i might dwell among them i am the lord their god i think it just brings us full circle as it always does mm-hmm. anyway so on the next episode we will be discussing exodus chapters 30 through 32 and that will be up next monday at 7 p.m eastern standard time so thank you so much for tuning in today's episode we hope you've enjoyed the time we spent in god's word and we hope to see you next time thanks for listening